Hello, this is Ian Austin of Friday Night Fright fame, and I'm doing a particularly interesting episode today. This is a combined collection by VHS comments, recap, review, commentaries, weather. It's a giant episode, 3 hours, 14 minutes. Don't expect you to listen to it all at once, because it's way too long to listen to it one time. But if you're going on a trip and you want to hear my views on VHS... Here's a combined episode. I'm going to be doing some more of these episodes in the future. Every once in a while, a combined episode of certain parts that I've done. For example, I updates Halloween. I'll put kickoff show, main show and post show as one episode at some point. But for now, here's VHS. Hope you enjoy. And also remember, there are a few sponsorship adverts in this podcast. It's only about a minute long. If you want to skip it, that's fine. That's not a problem, but... Any chance I get to earn a little bit extra money and keep this podcast going, there you go. Even though I can't actually cash out because I'm not allowed to at the moment. But hey, sponsorship anyway. Hope you enjoy this episode. And remember, I don't particularly enjoy VHS, but it's a lot better than paranormal activity. Anyway, hope you enjoy the episode. And as always, remember, life is beautiful. Hello, this is Ian Austin, Friday Night Fright Fame, back for another one of my lovely wonderful awesome podcast and this week it's going to be on Don Darko it's going to be a commentary with themed cocktails of Don Darko I did commentary last week for Hereditary in which I was very negative I stand by my comments or lack thereof at points I didn't feel it's a particularly good movie and I wished in hindsight I'd wait and just recap Donnie Darko and done commentary on Don Darko instead but that's in benefit of hindsight are we saying that sometimes while making this podcast I do come across as quite critical and maybe it seems a bit pedantic but you have to understand my position of watching these movies and having fine things to talk about and Hereditary's taste, case, taste, it tastes awful but in case of Hereditary it was just a movie which gave me nothing. I think if I hadn't done Contra on it I probably would have found it inoffensive but having think about critically and all of that made me realise it's actually not very good. But at the same time, I don't like being too negative on this podcast. It might be entertaining for you to listen to. It's not entertaining for me to actually do it. So hopefully from now on I'll be a bit less negative on subject movies like Hereditary. Um, but yeah, Don Darko is the commentary I'm going to do today. Some theme cocktails. I need to think of what those cocktails will be. But I, I just want to say up front, I like Don Darko. I think it's a really good movie. I actually owned the book, um, I owned a copy of the script book for it a long time ago. Um, I might still have it somewhere. And I've just generally been a fan of it for years. I was such a fan that I gave Richard Kelly a chance with Southland Tales, which I owned the graphic novels for, which apparently explained plot, but didn't actually explain goddamn thing. So I'll be looking forward to doing Southland Tales at some point. And The Bots, I will not be doing, that was an awful movie. At least Southland Tales was interesting. The box was 3,000 ideas thrown together and not one of them was a particularly good idea. But yeah, so I'll be doing Dong Darko tonight. Um, uh, you know, as a commentary because it's one of my favourite movies and think I have some insights into it which you might know already but you might not know. So hopefully you'll enjoy it and hopefully it'll be a bit more entertaining and interesting than last week's. You'll notice again that Dong Darko is a something I already own. Mabel still hasn't given me anything new, um, but hopefully they'll change for next week. I am in tertiary contact with her. I sent her a few messages, but she hasn't really sent anything back, so hopefully I'll hear from her soon. 
But, you know, for now, he's Don Darko. And hopefully it'll be a bit more positive than last week's podcast. So I'll be back to start that with after a short word from my sponsor. And here we go with the commentary for Don Darko. Not with alcohol, um, despite what tagline suggests, because, you know, it's uh, t- nine minutes past two on Sunday. And I can't start drinking at that point. Maybe part of country. And this is the Arrow version, obviously, starting with, as you can see, Thunder Intensifies. I just had Arrow Video. I got this at HMV as part of the Arrow Video collection. I own it a couple of times on DVD. And the theatrical cut and director's cut and also on Amazon Prime. But this is an Arrow version of it, which is quite cool. We're starting off with Thunder Bird Song. Obviously, you got Richard Kelly's credit right there. This was his debut movie. Uh, debut. Uh, marketed as a horror movie, weirdly. Um, and didn't remake lots of money on the initial release. This opening shot is fascinating. It's um, I have the script book for this, and the script describes this scene in such beautiful detail. Now it's hard to correlate with what we actually see. One of the natures of writing and script writing is that you write what your imagination gives you, and then you don't quite get that individualization process. But this is remarkably beautiful, and comes across this bit of a full circle thing as we'll discover and get gem for the movie it's also one first probably first breakup movie for jake young hall and he was in spider-man far from home this year it's to this day it's one of my favorite like breakout performances i've seen from an actor i know that might sound weird because obviously you know a breakout performance is by nature something good but this is an amazingly led performance and weirdly, it took him years to get back to this level of quality, I find. So we've got him waking up, and it plays on the idea that people had at the time, if you knew Jake Lyonghall, you knew he was in lots of movies which were more a Holden Coalfield, you know, kid aged beyond his years, a fit, sleeping, older woman, but sort of unsure, sure, confident, but not really grown up. And that little smile's telling, it's like he remembers something a half forgotten from half forgotten dream and there's text on darko you notice alliteration there is very key it's something i learned in multiple views of the movie in that he is actually portraying some god superhero and of course here we get echo and bungman killing moon in director's cut for this movie this song is in different place and anyone who's read the original script would know what Richard Kelly originally intended with the movie, but in theatrical version, I'd make certain concessions, and one of them was this song being played in the movie, which goes against what script wanted, but at the same time works perfectly for me. I find musical composition in this movie is perfect, where it is because of compromise. Here we get the um, 80s style montage of someone riding their bike for a community, which is a nice way to have an establishing shot without it feeling crass and poor and this is a really good song too by the way and also sums up how 80s this movie is like here we're going to get the scene with maggie gearnhall jake's sister and her dad and leaf blur which is kind of a weird scene you know, it's like it's a bit playful but at the same time it's it's a bit odd but i didn't grow up in america i'm not a woman i didn't have an american father who was blowing leaf blown towards my butt and my boobs you know like that's kind of weird but hey what what i what am i complaining about it never happened to me so and got a kid jumping on about on trampoline outside it's, it's just very american 
except for that weird leaf blur bit but it's quite cool and uh, and of course here we get this um amazing a actress mary mcdonald I, think, I can't remember she's reading stephen skin's ear which again is a big influence on the movie i find you know stephen king really influenced so many movies like this and think to me this does it better than something like stranger things because this feels like it is set in the 80s rather than anything else where strange things feels like it's uh zero zero's person commenting on the 80s this doesn't feel like that now we get political argument which again places it in the 80s and also points across different slight liberal tendencies of family you know it's like what parents are free to discuss politics with the kids which fascinating normally that doesn't happen in the household also we get um some nice banter which is good and also these characters all sound very close to their age <laughs> i like the um banter between um dong darko and his sister it's very amusing if it was a very organic conversation around the table and even kid drinking pepsi it's like product placement on your pants are like that's fine that's what kids were drinking in the 80s <laughs> i love that line not to eighth grade and this bit that follows is just the, the the band between them so convincing <laughs> really really good stuff this is very it's kind of strange that like richard kelly didn't really in late movies know how to write characters with this so much life and vitality to them because here they're perfect the banter between them and this feels like a conversation you would have around the intake maybe not this exact conversation but something to this as you can tell while doing this this is not like my hereditary commentary you know i love this movie i'm not even gonna make him bones about it. i'm loving it. i'm just gonna have some fun watching this it's fun but also a good quality movie because this is proof that i'm not negative let's say negativity if it's a good movie i'll talk about it be enjoying it you know like hereditary i just don't think it's a very good movie also that killer last night what the fuck ass and dad laughs i love that bit that's um such a dad response we do get so many great actors in this movie i think it's one of the best cast um debut movies by director ever yeah it was mary mcdonald i mean she's you all know her from balsar galactica and um plenty of other stuff really this and Balsar Galactica is what I really know her from and this is such an amazing performance it's it's just so real that's the thing it's real but it goes to what I wanted Hereditary to be more of I felt like Hereditary's problem was the fact that the dialogue had no life to it and this touch on things which are somewhat realistic and somewhat connected to what Hereditary is trying to do which was the breakdown of the family and all that but this feels more left like this scene for example with mary mcdonald and um shit what's his name no he's not this cliff curse this is brilliant you you're bitching my son called me a bitch you're bitching but not a bitch that is amazing that's a fantastic scene by end stretch because it shows that these parents are fully three-dimensional characters and while they what their kids say does affect them at the same time they're like no no we 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 have banter we have life you know and also establishing that Dong is taking tablets to cure some sort of affliction. So I'm just going to stand up for a second. I need to get a, another Dark Pepsi. You know, not sponsored by them, but I like Dark Pepsi. Helps me get through movies. 
and get father who wakes up at 3am and has to go downstairs and love little touches like that you know it's like you add love depth to dad you know he's got insomnia he's worried too and he's going to go down and look at the news because it sort of de-stresses him again and you can sort of throw out some of his anger at the um Dukakis and tell George Bush that he is and say you know George Bush you're a man you, you need to win this you're a man such great little character beat again it's something I've always said and said this when Lost was on too regarding characters even when they're off screen you need to have some logic for what they're doing and how it informs their plot and here's big moment in the movie October 2nd 1985 Don Darko wakes up in a sleepwalking and this is obviously a fascinating moment she can form lots and lots of theories of this of why he does that and you know maybe it's subconscious or maybe it's just you know to get him to the point of where a movie will wind up and this does it a lot better than Southland Tales which also dealt with a sort of um, prophecy of sorts but did in really ham-fisted way and the problem I think with something like Southland Tales and the reason I think this works is because I think Don Darko is a product of compromise and then F1, all studios and that saw Don Darko and thought Rich K doesn't need us compromise with him but you do need someone stamped down and say don't do this you know and there are lots of theories about this movie one of the theories is and I assume you have seen the movie already isn't it this is all a way to get Don Dark. Actually, no, I'm not going to spoil it. I, I, I just want to enjoy the movie for what it is. I'm sure I'll go into some more spoilers on the end, but no one does this sort of Kubrick stare, modern day Kubrick stare better than Jake Gyllenhaal. What, what an amazing actor this guy is. Here we get our first glimpse of Frank the Bunny. Lots of theories about him also. So he's Demon Don Darko. The countdown 28 days, 6 hours, 42 minutes. 12 seconds until he away then or rather yeah exactly it's like it's a nice prophecy because it gives some timeline to when move your end but again this does it so much better than Southland Tales did it and I think it's because this with Jake Gyllenhaal and Don Darko we get an entry point into this movie which we don't have in Southland Tales you know especially back then Jake was so good at portraying vulnerability you know you sort of when you watched him you felt captivated because you were like, this guy's got something slightly off kilter to him. And here we get Elizabeth dropped off and she's very satisfied. She's had a cracking evening, which is love that that's coy little smile. So that tells you everything you need no, you don't need loads of expositionary dialogue. And then rumbling crashing starts as everyone starts panic. She falls to the ground, she's petrified, her dad's there. He goes to run to the living room. And it's such a great way of like putting F1 in a certain geographical place. So it affects them all differently, which is a nice little twist in Chandelier. And we'll find out exactly what happened later on, but a simple movie. And here we get the um, wake up scene of Donnie Darko, who's sleepwalking, who survived, which is quite telling. And oh, here we get Patrick Swayze. And I really, I have to give Patrick Swayze so much credit. We, there are lots of jokes about him when he was alive, but man, that guy's like, point break, no, point break, point blank, point break, 
Don Darko, Ghost, Roadhouse, Dirty Dancing. You find me someone more iconic than Patrick fucking Swayze, and I'll I'll save you some salt water or something. I don't know. He's a fucking amazing actor. So good. And what's that great line there? I hate kids. You know, it's like such a telling line. Here we see Darko family. Um, and police just let Don Darko go straight by. No, you don't. They stop him. But he says this is his house and storm past him. And yeah, that's not quite what I remember it being, but there you go. And his family is um, freaking out. And he's got Channel 6 News there. Notice this is a very independent movie because you know you don't get a lot of extras looking at house in real life. You'd have fucking people around the block, nosy fuckers. He looks up at jet engines, it's pulled down. That's one big mysteries of the movie, which will need to be resolved at some point. And there's the Darko family, and they're so happy he's okay. I suppose it's, I must know he's okay anyway. Because that's an unplayed reaction. It's so 80s, but in a good, genuine, you know, realistic way. But with life to it. There's Bob Garland. We'll see him throughout the movie uh, doing various things. He's with the FAA. And they're trying to figure out where the jet plane came from. And they're going to talk to the parents in private, and they're like, fine. You know, Ray, we got the spoots. Non 80s movie about a bunch of spoots. That's such a. They did such a good job on that because for such a low budget movie, that looks amazing. That, re, that jet engine really looks fantastic in general. Gen, genuine, sorry. General and genuine. It looks very convincing. The FAA is sort of like, we'll take care of things here. And as Elizabeth points out, they don't know where it came from. She finds that funny, and Donnie's still like, no, what the fuck? That's odd. Why would a jet engine only jet engine fall? These scenes captivate by it, and you see inside, we've got spirals, which is what you normally get 4 a.m. Uh, when you're being put under... Shit, what do you call it? Not hallucination. Shit. I can't remember what it's fucking called, so... No, it's not. I'll, I'll get to it later. Parents have a sad argument about a kid who died and um, on his way to the prom. And it's a bit foreshadowing. It's like they both only half remember it. I love these two, by the way. They they do such a good job with these um, small little scenes. There is actually one scene in the movie I wish I kept in. It's um scene between Donnie and his dad, which is fantastic. But... Anyway, they both have nightmares of sort of like Donnie could have been doomed and they're both sad about that. And the obvious answer is asked, if it fell from the plane, then what happened to the plane? And Elizabeth tells little kid Samantha, they don't know, but that's a very good question. And also it's quite important, because normally a scene like that, you might run it for a bit longer because you want to do the three things, each scene to do three things. Thing. That scene asks one important question that will pay off at the end of the movie. So Donnie's gone to school, and this is a bit weird, like, this is part where money falls down a bit, because here there's five kids, all from different years and classes, waiting for a bus stop, but then later on they, some of these, like, 
they all seem being some of these kids all seem being the same class but they're all different ages so I'm not sure what's going on with that unless that's a bit um, intentional so Don is smoking here giving him peer pressure but telling his sister that not until your parents he smokes because if she does he'll put air on garbage disposal and I love delivery of goddamn right I will I like the use of so gross it's very 80s um, in term there so meet Sharita who I've never understood what her own movie is except for be subject to some you know 80s racism Dongy tries to be a bit nice to her but doesn't really add up too much I mean there are theories but um, here's one here's probably my favorite scene in the entire movie tears for fears um amazing song head over heels and this is one of my favorite like montages ever it's so clever it's so sharp and it introduces us to the entire school line characters including he's not that moment but very young Seth Rogen and this fucking psychopathic mullet wearing bully who looks like he's gonna overdose from cocaine in a second and mouths off to a teacher who's ah so amazing I, I just watched this sort of sequence and I'm in awe because it's just so sharp so fantastic introducing everyone as quickly as possible with as little fanfare as possible but then by the end of it you know exactly what you're doing and there's a young Seth Rogen who has admitted in many interviews and he had no idea what's going on in this movie but I find it fascinating like because this was before he started acting in things like Jobs and um oh some of his other movies where he played more serious side instantly I think Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg I think they're both a credit to the experiences they've had because those two put out more content than anyone else in Hollywood but they put such a lot of hard work into it you have to admire that sort of enthusiasm and willingness to put in work so they work together but they work separately they act you know it's just amazing and Noah Wilde and Drew Bangle and Noah Wilde is like it's fascinating thing about cast someone like him is he's got such an innate sense of goodness to him but also professionalism now you see him you completely buy him as a sort of slightly more serious teacher and Drew Barrymore slightly more bohemian teacher and now he's this dance sequence with kids which is like uh, I get why it's there but I get the sense we make feel that it's slightly off place and out of sync with the rest of the movie. But he does get some good performances from kids. And this song is amazing. It's so good. And this montage really has flown by. And this this cut through the door where you see kids in fast motion going to their seats as time flies. Oh, it's perfection. So good. I also like how um, they're doing credit to some works by Graham Greene which obviously have influenced this movie to an extent and this movie wears its literary influences on screen in a really fascinating way it feels like something where someone who's picked like that's the problem with Southland Tales and we'll get Southland Tales eventually it's on my list so I just need to find a copy of it Southland Tales throws everything into a blender and just pours wherever it can into a dish and that's what you get 
this feels like he's Richard Kelly's cherry pick the things that he's interested in and combine them and also love how they have the kid get the answer wrong to start off with because that's true you don't you won't just say to the main character here's what's the answer question then they say you ask a few more people first and then get the answer and I love Donnie's opinion of like destruction's a form of creation because that ties into the ending too and it's all these little things that you don't realise you're watching a movie for the first time Instantly, if you haven't watched a movie before, you really shouldn't be watching this, listening to this commentary because I'm, like, I'm not trying to spoil things, but you need to watch movie three, four times to understand what's going on. And also, I love the sort of, um, I suppose you can call it predestination, but I feel like there's a lot of sense of these characters in this universe of deja vu, like they've lived through this before, and in certain perspectives they're trying to these characters are consciously or unconsciously combining and leading people where they need to go and then not realizing they're doing it almost like they're guiding people to the right scenario like that question sitting next to boy you think's cutest no teacher has ever asked that because that's a, a leading question and also terribly inappropriate but in terms of this universe where his characters are guiding they're all trying to guide Donnie to where he needs to get it's kind of like the Matrix um, Reloaded, where we find that, in Revolutions, where we find out that there were many ones before, many Neos before. And um, they're leading, and the choices they make, you know, and sort of like the influence, it, the choices can be influenced to play a longer game. And feel like that's what this movie's doing. They're trying to get to the best desired result. Now we get a cool scene with um, Donnie's dad. And again, they did cut one amazing scene from book from the um, script book um, with Donnie and his dad. And feel like that would have paid off some of these other scenes. But at the same time, I get why they cut it. Because I watched the director's cut. And I actually really respect Richard Kelly for how much hard work he put into this movie. You know, and all the effort he put in and whatnot. But at the same time, I feel like he was wrong to add a lot of that stuff back he thinks he's he, by trying to explain in concrete forms what the movie is and what we meant to feel and what plot is and stuff like that and the answers and mysteries and payoff and all of that I feel he went the opposite way he over explained whereas the ambiguity of movies what people find most enjoyable at and now we hear now we meet Grandma Death who goes to the box every day and says that F1 dies alone that's my theories about Grandma Death. I'm drinking dark Pepsi, by the way. I have lots of theories about Grandma Death, a.k.a. Mrs. Sparrow. But, you know, that's fine. When she's been looking for her FK, and she whispers something doggy, which causes him an immense amount of um, sadness. And that's all just showing on Jake Gyllenhaal's face. This guy has one of the most expressionistic faces I've ever seen in a movie. He's so good. No, no, don't fast forward. He really is an amazing actor. And now we get the first scene of Catherine Roche, who you remember from um, The Graduate. And here we get her and Dong interacting. She's his um, psychiatrist, therapist for that better word. And she's asking him about Frank. And Dong is opening up and he looks very scared. And we find out that he was that 
everything's going to end and she's asked questions like do you think it's going to end and he's looking a bit confused like how do I answer that question he doesn't think it'll end but he doesn't know for sure and he really does a great job being haunted here but also lying to her about what's going on and here this is another one of my favorite scenes from the movie <laughs> this infomercial is amazing it's so good it's so clever it's so sharp and apparently it was shot on Patrick Swayze's ranch but really it's a perfect performance by Swayze because he's playing up this sort of cheesy douchebag you know uh, somewhat famous like guru of some kind and it's celebrity and you just especially nowadays me too movement and stuff like this this is even more prevalent but it's such a great performance because like imagine having played this role you know on one hand you must think i don't want people to think i'm actually like this you know, but on the other hand you do it and you pull it off you're going to get praised for years and it did mind f1 he was insanely good at <laughs> i'm not afraid anymore that's this great line too um and it's also a homage to all over America people have come forward to hold hands which is actually one of the things they mention in Us um, another great movie you should check out my review of it it's very good and Donny does not look convinced by this and does he wonder does Donny suspect like um, Jim of being what he is late revealed be already or does he have some dislike because his dislike for him always came across as very much like um over the top instantly that was a leading my favorite scene but it wasn't my favorite scene oh that's a really cool image i remember that it's definitely theatrical version right yeah brand new 4k restoration for the original camera negative produced by arrow films exclusively first release supervised and improved by director rick kellen sigma stephen poster with original 5.1 audio wow cool very cool there's also a new feature left documentary there's, there's not new commentaries but I have listened to commentary with um, uh, Jake Dingle for it's really good now we're October 6th 1988 oh it's 1988 it's not 1985 and we get last the last unicorn by um, Samantha Darko instantly don't watch S Darko it's rubbish really bad so school flooded and it and the F1 sort of like, yay, that's amazing. And Donnie's like, wait, what? I had a dream about school being flooded. And this this guy playing this guy playing Jant is fantastic. Against another really good performance. The delivery is so great. Sorry. Shut the door, I don't oh the axe buried in the bulldog statue that's really cool <laughs> and they did cut out one of my favorite lines of um the one thing i did like about director's cut was when they when they asked him <laughs> this bit which they cut out of the movie they made me do it and then jan says something witty you know who made him do it i guess they did he gets fired that's a great scene you think they also get um feces which the kids say are baby mice based on what parents said and seth rogan not most natural performance in this movie 
because like I say I don't think he knew what was going on but it's still it's still a decent one him and the other bully are very intense and this is obviously Gina Malone who has gone on to uh, different things um, she instantly she was kind of drifted for a while she made some good movies some bad movies but then she's in Neon Demon and that is a fucking whopper of a movie I'll absolutely be doing a review on that at some point that Neon Demon's kind of like this movie in a lot of ways because that movie broke me considerably I watched it at 3am and like after I watched it I was like holy shit this is beyond amazing it's a really good movie and find out that um, Gretchen's dad stabbed her mum a bunch of times in the chest and they still can't find them so she chose Gretchen Ross because they had changed their names Donny reveals he's in jail once because he accidentally burned down his house and this lends a lot of credence to the idea is Donny seeing, actually seeing anything or is he crazy and it does in better way than something like Hereditary which I think fell down because it never crystallised what exactly we are meant to imagine what's going on it was it played it too coy whereas this one does a far better job because it points out Don Darko did something back in the day which was done for seemingly no reason although he says creation is a form of destruction or destruction is a form of creation rather and it's fascinating because it lays the point of is he telling the truth or not? Is he actually crazy? And that'll get a really cool idea. Um, Gretchen wants to create um, an invention benefit mankind and Donnie's sort of like, no, no, you, you do soap because soap, you know, before and then nothing, no one's clean. There's no sanitation, which is quite cool. Which shows me he was also a very smart guy. You know, Donnie's smart and this is before we get his friends telling him he's smart he picks up on shit which is good and I also love this because this is so true the way they're interacting the scene it's like you, you just sometimes like obviously the goal when you meet someone you like is to get into physical stuff but to be honest that first time that first experience where you have a really good conversation with someone oh man that's that's a fucking buzz and a half you know not like when I met Mabel. Jesus Christ. That oh, that woman. You know, she's such a pain. I don't know how she expects her kid to go through college if she doesn't fucking... You know, actually swung for my text. You know, leave me my own devices. She better come up for the bees next week. That's all I'm saying. And now Gretchen's going to go home. And I seriously, like... I, I remember watching this for the first time. I mean, when was it? Back in like 2002? But I fucking, I fell in love with like both Gene Malone and Jake Gyllenhaal because of their performances, they're just, they're such, they come across as such genuine people. Maybe it's not true in real life, I don't know, but in this, this movie they really do a good job. Hypnotised, that's the fucking word, hypnotised. And Donny, Donny's um, hypnotised and sighing on couches, we all do. Oh, he's talking about how he met Gretchen. It's fascinating because um, the psychiatrist is trying to lead him away from that. 
and he's just like obsessed with sets and you know now she's leading, leading him towards it and he's sort of like originally this scene was about um uh he was Dongy was alluding to who's the boss and Alice Milano and now he's it changes slightly um changes to Christine Rapke because they needed to get um permission from um uh Liz Milano and she wouldn't give it but Christine Rapgate would and that's I seriously I, I have nothing but respect for Christine Rapgate because she is such a great actress but doesn't seem to take it anything too seriously don't talk about how he doesn't feel about fucking his family because that's gross and he's about to jerk off and um his psychiatrist wakes him up and re Dong realises he's got his hand down his pants and he's probably thinking, what the fuck? I, and she looks concerned too. And he's sort of like, holy shit, will, we, will she try and fuck me? And here's um, the scene where the um, principal is trying to find out who um, uh, did the hit up school. And um, Drew Barrymore's character, the teacher, keeps looking at Don Darko, which is quite fascinating. It's like she suspects him based on his answer of doing it. And cops are there too. And basically, this is the equivalent of what you do sometimes in schools. Someone will find out something and you have to write down the words, the graffiti, and they would try and figure out whether you've done it or not. And notice Donnie's written it a slightly different way. They're not sure if he's actually responsible. They put a question mark, you know, but they can't prove that he actually wrote that. Here's um, our first psychotic bully scene, where he's like, do you tell him I flooded the school? And Don's sort of like, I didn't say shit. And Bully sort of didn't ask if she said shit. I asked you flooded the school, and Don, he looks very confused. He points out that if the guy's innocent, then he has nothing to worry about, but the guy puts a knife down his neck, and this is so this is really terrifying and gritting real and see why they wanted to in some ways mark this as horror movie i know it's not technically a horror movie although there are horror aspects to it but stuff like that is fucking chilling the nature of the movie you know and now they're shooting some bottles um which is quite cool and pays off later on it's little bits like this where if character uses a gun at the end of the movie you should establish in the earlier in the movie they know how to use the gun and now we get a conversation about Smurfs, which some people criticise as like a very Tarantino pop culture thing. But I think this was pointing out, this was more pointing out Donnie's perspective in life. You know, it's sort of like a living very narrow community. You know, and Donnie is not only displaying his intelligence, but he's also displaying an understanding of what meaning of life is to him from his perspective. And also by schools as two friends, like Donny sees shit they don't see. Such great scene, such great performance by Jake Gyllenhaal to nail this monologue and all the little inflections he has to just sing while he's drinking this concoction. I know he's not actually drinking alcohol in real scene, but it's a nice bit of business for an actor, it's great. And Donnie's so obsessed with sets, and he can't think anything other than, you know, having sets, you know. But it goes back to his theme of creation, you know, he's like, 
It's a very juvenile mindset that Donnie has, but it's also a fascinating deconstruction for Smurfs. Now, um, Grandma Death. And now we get a different reaction Grandma Death by a completely unlikable character, Kitty, played by a really good actress. So, that's fascinating. Uh, Miss Farmer, who um, one of the kids calls a fucking bitch. They debate how old Grandma Death is. And how she does the same thing every day, expecting different results. But that goes back to what Donnie is saying. It's like, it's completely logical. Because he won't understand reason for why she's doing it until the end of the movie. You know? It's a kind of a predestination loop, I guess. I do love this little bit though. Oh, wait, wait, wait. She's going back to the box. She may still have mail. Mail, mail, mail. Here it is. Nope. Nope, she doesn't. Instead, I do have a theory that um, she is one of the characters as an older person, you know, but trying to figure out who's vandalised the school as the workers, Steve fits in darkened household and Donnie's falling asleep on couch watching TV. And oh man, it's an emergency PGA meeting. They're all fascinating. One reason never want kids is to have go, go fucking PGA meetings. They're going to investigate flooding at school and they're trying to figure out suspects and clearly no one wants to be there. And Kitty's sort of like, I don't want them kids to be taught Graham Green. And that's going to be a scene which is um, superimposed? No, not superimposed, intercut. And it's principally enough, Kitty. And she's pointing out that she bypasses parent-teacher, um, transcends parent-teacher bridge. <laughs> and Donnie's taking his tablets, but the interesting thing here is they don't work. And if you watch director's cut, you'll realise that these are, like, um, they're, oh shit, placebo tablets, they're not real. Point out why he sees this crazy shit. So now here, Kitty doesn't understand why or what point Graham Green is and get the right between the teachers who actually understand how life works and all of that. And the teachers who don't really have fucking clue. And Don sees Frank. That's a terrifying costume, by the way. And that's another reason why it'd be marketed as a horror movie, because Frank's costume is beyond terrifying. It's such an awesome... And this effect is fantastic. But it's really sold by J.J. and Hall's reactions, I think. And this does tie in how Donnie's fought this shit up. And even Don's dad is like, yeah, I can see how they do that. And also it's quite interesting, Donnie burned down his parents' house when they are younger. But, and then burst a water main at school, so he got fire and water. Kitty's demanding that the book be removed. And um, Don's dark mother is sort of like, we don't burn books. And it's not pornography. <laughs> it's... <laughs> I love that exchange it's like it's ironic go back grad school it's like do you understand what irony is kitty like it's not telling you do this it's pointing it pointing out you know and then parents ask who kitty if she knows who Graham Green is and she says I think we've all seen Bonanza which is an amazingly hilarious line of dialogue and I love the little bits they, these actors have added like someone patting Kitty on the back you know it's such a great twist 
And now we get our first bit about time travel, which, ooh, very interesting. Time travel is a fascinating concept. Um, it really is. 39 minutes into this movie, wow. What a movie. Uh, yeah, it's such a good movie. I'll get to the 53, 53 minute mark and then I'll pause this. We'll do half-time handball and then we'll come back to it. Now get some more of Jim Cummings' email. Um, fucking email. It's his um, fucking video demonstration procedure training instruction video. Where fuck infomercial. That's what's called. And Seth Rogen is trying to. Oh, and here's my. Oh, I love this scene. The fear and love divide. Oh, it's such an awesome scene. Fear is negative. Love is someone who loves comic books and Green Lantern mythology. I love how Dongy is like. This is fucking bullshit. On so many levels, he's so fed up, and this is hilarious. Even his friends are like, it's bullshit. They can't articulate why. So we get on each card, we get character dilemma, which flows through lifeline. And it's fascinating because this <laughs> this is such a stupid sh shitty thing that you give to kids, not 15, 16 year olds, you know. It's so beyond ludicrous. Like placing X on lifeline between fear and love. Like there are more emotions than fear and love. Fear and love, you know, there's like hundreds, you know, like like it's not just those two extremes. Like Janita's in Port Math yesterday, she's known about the test for several weeks but it's not studied. In order to keep from failing her class, Joannita decides that she'll cheat on math test. That's, right, okay, that's not love, but also at the same time, it's not really fear. You know, it's like, it's it's kind of like the idea of right or wrong, you know? And Dongy's there, oh, I love this bit. Ling Ling finds a wallet on Grandfield with money. She takes wallet to the dressing site, but keeps the money. That's, fucking hilariously bullshit Dongy's starting to freak out at this point he's like no this is bullshit it doesn't work he doesn't he says he knows what to do but he doesn't get this you can't lump things into categories which you can't <laughs> she's pointing out lifeline site that way this also points out a neat thing for later on that Dongy's like the idea that time's in straight most people have the idea that time's in straight lines, so you have past, present, future. With Dongy's mindset is, no, no, it's all there at the same time, but you know, you can mix and match it and shit. And it's such a great argument and payoff for his line from earlier on. He is such a good actor. She's telling him he'll get zero if he doesn't complete the assignment. And instantly, this is another one of my favorite bits of the movie. I'm so glad they cut him actually saying what he says to her and they cut to the principal office by talking about how um, intimidating Dongy's test scores are and it's that build up to the punchline. It's such a great bit of um, writing, acting, directing and editing to have her deliver a line. <laughs> then reveal she's there. <laughs> the fact Dongy asked her for a splitting so lifeline, it's those cardinal terrainers, and he started laughing and coughs, and it's, ah, oh, it's perfection. Where did this Richard Kelly go, man? Where, like, what happened to this guy? This guy is amazing. This, this guy should have been like fucking, this guy should have been guy they gave DC Sing Mac Universe to, you know? Like, fucking. 
You should give him Richard. If Richard Kelly directed this in like 2014, they were fucking thrown Marvel movies at him. They'd been like, "Fuck it, man! You you can fucking have this shit." Like, like I fucking honestly, my two greatest what's ifs in life in terms of movies are one, why Kevin Smith didn't do Green Hornet? No, pff, might not have worked. Should have tried anyway. You should always try. If you fail, fuck it. You know, failure is part of life. Don't try, you don't get. And the other one is that, um, that yeah, Richard Kelly. I would love to see him make Doctor Strange. I think that would have been amazing. But there you go. Well, and get our first concrete beer out of Spark Motion there, too. So, it's also a really good form. I don't. Like, it's kind of crazy, because at the time, you could think, was, like, fucking Maggie getting her cast just because she was Jake's sister in real life? Like, was there a bit of nepotism there? But now that she's had the career she's had, you're like, holy shit, like, fucking... These... I mean, like, the, the only closest comparisons I can make are probably Joan and John Cusack and Julia and Eric Roberts in terms of brother and sister actors who are that amazing, but these two are on a whole fucking other level, these like, perfect, perfect, like, brilliant actors in their own regard, but when they're teamed up, like, I don't know if they made enough movie off this, but they're perfect in this, and again, no wild sense of decency is so cool, and they're discussing a um, brief history of time, this is really, really cool discussion. And the lighting here is really cool too, because it's like weird vibe to like you get the impression that this teacher is not really doing this because he wants to do it. He feels compelled to do it. Like he's being instructed to have this conversation with Donnie. And also it's a good back and forth, you know? Really good back and forth. And also sets up rules. That's cool. And also love this way, um, where Donnie's talking about how Back to the Future 2 is so, Back to the Future is so futuristic. <clears throat> and teacher just nods and smiles because he's sort of like, but Back to the Future is set in the past. Back to the Future 2 hasn't even come out yet. So you have wonder, is that actually an error that Rich Kelly made? Or is he trying to point out that Donnie might have seen Back to the Future 2 and one for the visions he's had from Frank? So... And now, here's another hint at the idea that these people are being subconsciously moulded, or consciously moulded, but not realising it, to instruct Donnie along his way. Like, everyone's trying to reverse what happened, the original mess that happened, to make things a bit better. Make for a better timeline, you know? And here's Donnie walking, and he just looks a bit nervous, but he's trying to find out more about... Roberta, Roberta Sparrow. And if you've read the script book, you'll get the entire history, um, Roberta Sparrow's history of time travel and all that shit. And there's a fascinating backstory there, which they don't dwell too much upon, which I like, because if you over-explain this shit, like the philosophy of time travel, if you over-explain it, it doesn't work. You need to keep it vague. Like, Dad and Mum are starting to remember about Roberta Sparrow. And they're both amazed that Grandma Death wrote a book. But as they point out, that's a very cruel nickname. 
and I just love these family scenes. <laughs> I love Dad's little reactions, and um, this this family, just the warmth they share amongst each other, is so cool. It's so genuine. I love these little bits about oh, we used to go up there and try to steal shit from her. It's such an awesome, awesome dynamic this family has. It's so cool. Like, just the way they interact, you completely buy these characters as family. And think that's the other thing. So, like this scene where they're jumping on trampoline. This could be an outtake, you know? But it's so cool. They just are oh, the genuine. I just, I, I'm sewing all of this movie. I don't know what happened to Richard Keller. I really don't. I mean, Southland Tales is a mess. The box was just, oh. It's like Richard Kelly tried to go back to what made Don Darko work but he did it by adapting a Philip K. Dick short story which had none of those things in it and you can adapt the short story make it yours and make it different but you have to stick to what the story was about and Bots wasn't it just got so far up his own ass and it got ridiculous and then they wouldn't let Richard K. make any more movies after that which is a shame because he had such promise and I was and am a fan even if I don't like the movies I would take someone like Richard Kelly any day over as that Snyder because I Richard Kelly gives a shit he loves he loves clearly loves making movies the problem is that he needs to compromise with people and also needs to go back to making what Don Darko worked you know the sort of thing that Don Darko did with that's what Rich Kelly needs to go back to but sadly I think it's over at this point which is shame I mean oh, fucking just the amount of what ifs like but it's also sad like he should have given them enough chance after the box he should have had or did he get enough chance off the box I don't know but man Southland Tales and here's the sadness we get Don Darko's fear of dying alone and this is a really painful scene he doesn't want to be alone so we get a sense of loneliness from him and that's something love, kid, love kids that age would feel you know like they don't want to be alone they can't be alone then when you get older you start feeling like you can be it's not the worst thing And here's someone trying to extol virtues of Jim Cummings onto Donnie's mum. And she's clearly not buying it. And, oh, I can't believe single way. You, you will later on. And now parents are watching the Super Bowl. Uh, which is this quite cool scene. Although this scene, like a lot of scenes in the movie, um, is over-explained in director's cut. But I do like the fact that fathers and kids are bonding. It's a very cool scene. Also drinking beer, which is quite interesting. Although that picture quality is a bit too good for this TV. And now these bubbles, these um, fluidy liquids starts coming out of people's chests. And... Um, start stretching out and yeah this effect is a bit bit shit I, I this has been restored so it's better than it was but it's still a bit naff but I think you can go around it like the intent of the movie you know you can respect at least 
it's a love thing. You can expect something which fails in some regards as long as it's trying in other regards. And it does, like, it's, it's a means to an end. Like, it's like when people criticise The Matrix for not having great effects, you know, nowadays, it's like, fuck off, you know? It works in terms of story. If it's not great effect, it doesn't matter. It's like, it's people raising special effects above stories irritates me. Because I'll take a great, a great script and great direct and great acting and subpar special effects over brilliant special effects and piece of shit end every week. Fucking Transformers is great effects, but they're all shit. You know? And this might be naff, but fuck it. It's a means to an end. You know, like, it's just means to an end. And also it's got, it, it's always a small budget. So like, it's, this is, the special effects are just there so Donnie finds a gun. You know, that's it. That's the entire reason they're there. You know? Everything else is fucking immaterial. You know? That was the way Richard Kelly perceived he would get to Don Darko finding a gun. Rather than have Donnie searching the house for a gun. Now kids are queuing up to school again. Steve smoking, they all look miserable. And they see an airplane fly ahead and they're like, oh shit, is that the airplane which lost its engine? But it's also to remind us that the airplane's going to come back and play the movie and Donnie starts having I guess half memories and that's a good point to wrap up for now um, 53 minutes in so I will be back after half time handball and I, we will pick up the rest of the movie so if you pause the movie at this point and after half time handball play movie again Hello, my name is Ian Austin. Welcome to another edition of Halftime Handball. Anthony Hopkins won an Oscar for, hand, for Science of Lambs. He won on March 30th, 1992 in Dorothy Chandler Pavilion. I'd just like to read his speech now. My God, I can't believe it. I never met a girl like you before. Nope, that's not it. So, my God, I can't believe it. This is really unexpected. Really. It's great honour to be here. Especially if such great actors like Nick Nolte, Juan Beatty, Robin Williams, Robert De Niro. First of all, before I say on, I want to say hello to my mother. She's in Wales watching this on television with Eve and Jean and Jill and Tony. I can't keep making fun of this. This is a really nice speech. I can't do it, surely. I forget Mabel's not here telling me not to do it. Um, God damn it. Well, that's ruined. Um, can't make fun of this guy's lovely Oscar speech. This is Anthony Hopkins. He's, done, he's doing a really nice speech. He's about to talk about his father, who's passed away before this. I can't do this. I... Cut away, just cut away, damn it. Cut away for me, okay? Cut away. I can't do this. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I can't do this. And we're back with more Don Darko. It's Dongy and Gretchen turning down sound so I wouldn't get sued by our video or whoever writes. They're one for talking about things that mind them of beauty and her image goggles. Um, Dongy points out they've been two weeks and haven't even got together yet, which he's quite concerned about. So all he cares about is sets, which is very teenage response. 
So she's asking, do you want to kiss me? And he's saying yes. And I'm wondering, maybe I'm lip smacking or breathing too hard or whatever. But then I'm thinking, I don't give a shit. Right? It's my podcast, listen to it or not. And drinking some woo-woo, which is my favourite cocktail. Because it's a horribly hot day here in Aylesbury. And yes, I'm recording this on Tuesday when we recorded the original bit on Sunday. So it's a bit of a time delay. So sue me, I'm tired. It's been a long week already. My lips smacking in. I noticed this fat guy is actually one of the um, agents from the start of the movie. So that's quite interesting. That's a nice little calling or call back that they've got the agents throwing Donny around. I really do smack my lips a lot. Oh, wait. Get safe conscious about that shit. Why wouldn't make podcasts in the first place? So now parents are visiting psychiatrists. <laughs> I really do do it a lot. And now they're wondering what's going on and about his past. You know, Donnie's suspended from school for burning down the house. And, oh, for insulting his gym teacher. And the dad, this is what I like. Also, he sort of touches dad going, well, that's, he's just fireable. Mum going, that's not really your point. You know, Donnie's grabbing a knife, which is concerning. And he takes his tablets and... The psychiatrist is talking about Donnie's increased detachment from reality, um, inability to cope with forces in ways he perceives to be threatening. His strength's amazing, by the way. So now we get revealed the masking if they know about Donnie's friend Frank. And at this point, they must be wondering that that's the same guy our daughter's dating. dating. But then psychiatrist mentions about giant dragon rabbit and dad's like, what the fuck? Now here's enough scene for how good Jake Gyllenhaal is at acting unhinged. Because he's look, he's breaking down Kubrick's stare. He's about looking to the mirror. And the psychiatrist points out, says he's experiencing daylight hallucination. So he's tapping the mirror of a knife and he's trying to get Frank, but he's not. And notice that way, where he's tapping the eye of Frank, which... You know, you have to wonder, maybe that has significance. So it's not clear whether this psychiatrist believes him or not at this point. She's just fascinated by um, his breakdown, I guess. Donnie's grown increasingly unhinged trying to get Frank, but he can't. Even Frank's eye closed. Donnie cannot break the mirror between realities, I guess. And his mum points out that all they want is him to experience some relief, which is a really lovely gesture. It's like they know at this point that they failed to quite a large extent and they feel like they need to try wherever they can. And guess what? Sorry, I lip smacking. I know it's getting annoying. It's annoying me now. I can't unhear it. But it's fascinating because it's such a cool little bit. Anyway, I'll go to this scene now. This scene with Noah and Drew Barrymore. And they just laugh at name Donnie Darko. In the script, she's haunted by it when he says that name. But here they laugh. And it's a nice bit of like... um actors adding little bits of character oh and here's my favourite scene movie possibly of most movies in general really good job by Patrick Swayze he comes across as such a cheesy arsehole who's trying to incite this crowd to be enthusiastic and notice that um, Donnie will rate this point so like, I'm going to take this motherfucker down peg or two <laughs> So this guy's clearly overcompensating for something. He's paralysed by his fears and he's inflicting it, subflecting that on tough people.
and now Donny is bored already but this is such a cool bit because there's more Seth Rogen than confused and here's um, Jim talking about um, and actually this could be a prelude to who he is actually because this sounds quite familiar to him but when he says the name Frank that really gets to Donny it's sort of like holy shit I'm looking through Bell I love these little inserts of kids talking about their problems by the way because <laughs> it's such a cool little bit you know, it's such a fascinating little exercise. And also this little kid who talks about how you learn to fight, he's one of the ones from the infomercial video, which is either a case of reusing extras or actually a really clever way of pointing out how much how full of shit Jim really is. Like Although they're on the other side of each other a sec bullying Seth, so that's a continuity error. And here's Don Darko, Jake Gillingall's best moment in a great movie. Well, he starts asking questions everyone wants to ask about this guy. <laughs> Such cool things. Everyone's sort of like, Donnie's badass. <laughs> He's such great. He's such a good actor. <laughs> Although clearly, like I alluded to earlier, clearly there's something more personal here between Donnie and this guy because this seems very extreme unless he knows what Frank is deep down. And also like the advice he gives these kids because it's true. You know, he's being blunt, but he's also telling the truth. And I love the line to this little kid here. <laughs> Such a good line. We'll take a karate lesson. Next time tries to do it, comma, you kick him in balls. <laughs> and also that line, try out field hockey. And also, he's kind of like, Dongy is scared of death of truth. And he is troubled and very confused. And Dongy deflates here by admitting to it a sec. You're right, actually. I am pretty troubled and pretty confused. And I'm afraid, really afraid. You're really afraid. Which is true, he is very straight. But I think you're fucking uncorrect. That is amazing, people. That is such an awesome line. And that justifies me doing this movie. It really does. I am such a fan of this movie. And while whistling and cheering is very apt there because that was amazing and you see it's a broken gym fair bit and now he's taken um gretchen to the place he took his friends before and it's really cool because this symbolizes donnie's changing fair bit what's like use of word chud and gretchen cuts through all bravado and just asks donnie is he okay which symbolizes that they are very you know very in tune very connected which is lovely it's very genuine Sort of dynamic between two of them. And I, I'd say not career best performances from two of them, but career defining performances. Because this is just a level beyond. It really is. It's just so cool. It's such a genuine movie. It's fascinating. Like how they managed to do that. And I know it's not particularly loved by like the mainstream, but I mean this this is the sort of movie I wish we'd get more of, to be honest. It really is. It's so good. And this woo-woo is so good, you know. Podcasts might not have any fucking money, but by God, I, I found some woo-woo. It's in date, right? Oh, no, probably not. There's another scene of um, Noah Wilde teaching Dong Dark about time travel. No, remember the alliteration of Dong Dark, by the way. He's clearly framed as superhero. So Donnie is... 
pushing uh, Dr. Mongrov too far. He's trying to explain how time travel works, um, portals, wormholes, that sort of thing. And he's really pushing, Dongy's really pushing him as far as he can. This guy's like, I'm Ray on thin ground and don't bang act of God. And this dude at this point is sort of like, no, we can't have this conversation, which I think is quite a teacherly response because, you know, a nice conversation about education, they're happy to. But at this point, Donnie is really pushing things into a mode of religion. And also, like someone's push, challenging Donnie on this point, you know, not just buying what he talks about. You know, they're like, no, it wouldn't be true. And also, he rightly points out, it's not, it's not destiny if you know what's going to happen and can choose not to do it. So it's another great scene. The movie saw so many great scenes between actors. It's just, it really just makes me sad because you get a lot of American independent movies, but you don't get a lot like this, which are so utterly genre hopping. You know, they just throw between so many genres. Which reason why it's probably marketed so badly in the first place. And Donnie's still counting down to the end. I don't know how many days he's got left. He's not marking X, but I kind of like that. You know, he's worn past sprinklers of birds someplace. This is enough great shot. You know, it conveys a lot without being needy or, you know, silly or anything. But also points out Donnie is right, because why would he find Jim's wallet if it wasn't fate, you know? It's like he is channeling within God's channel. And he laughs because he realises that he's actually outside Jim's house. Oh, shit. Oh, Frank. Encouraging him. So here's another example of Dong and his psychiatrist. And he's showing book to her. At this point, clearly she's starting to think there might be something more to it than that. Or she's humouring him, but I don't really get the sense he's humouring him particularly. He talks about how the um, the spears are like liquid. But he doesn't reveal what he found. That's fascinating. I don't know, I just, I, I'd like, I like the aesthetic of these scenes. In lots of movies, the psychiatry scenes are very dull and very matter-of-fact. But that one's quite interesting. And in general, they are. So they talk about infant memory generators. And this actually ties back to what happens at the end of the movie, where you have to wonder, is this giving Donny a chance to have a longer life than he would otherwise have? Now I'm giving up these spoiler-free shit moment. We know where this goes. Also have how this ties in Gretchen's character too, because she doesn't remember early years but probably wish she did because they're probably the happiest years of her life and ever since she started to um uh grow up she's had a horrible time and these bullies are just so brilliantly written dr mondoff is just again such a great character pointing out what if they put what if parents put creepy shit in the um glasses That line is so badly delivered. There's something endearing about it. I think it's something endearing about the fact that Seth Rogen played against type before he even got in type. 
these kids, bullies are assholes. So anyway, I love the get out. Such a great angry line. And I like Dongy um, comforting her and her kissing because it's such a genuine reaction. She's like, I want to see some beauty. And, oh, wow, they're really going out. Jesus Christ. I think I should pacify Dongy for a few hours at least, you know. So that's a really good scene. And also like the fact they cut lying and need to see something beautiful. And of course, one of the greatest dub beers of all time, Evil Dead and the, um, uh, shit, whatever it's called, the, um, My Scorsese Jesus Christ one. Who knows that name? Gretchen's fast asleep as it's sped. And they're young ones in cinema. I think that's a bit bullshit. That probably has to do with the, um, extra money and also what happens next because you can't do what happens next in a cinema for people unless they're all asleep. Evil Dead, what a movie. I'll be doing that at some point on the podcast, by the way, with lip smacking included and breathing and slurping. No, it's not my fault I'm going to hate this fucking podcast. Oh, why don't you do it? Well, I can't be bothered. There you go. In France, in cinema, one asshole. Did you pay for a ticket? You butthead, you fucking Hershey's kiss, motherfucker. <laughs> now, why do you wear that stupid bunny suit? What? A, and here's an iconic line back. Why are you wearing that stupid man suit? Oh, shit. Oh, he's got you there, Donny. He's fucking had you, mate. And now France, like, look at the screen. Look at the movie. And Donny's like, why is something going to happen? It's like, look at the fucking movie. And then Donny asks if he takes, can take the mask off. And this is a scene which plays much better when you've watched the movie and know what's actually going on. And this kid playing Frank, the performance isn't really etching the script so much, but he adds so much to the actual movie. And I love how he's acting from a completely different standpoint to the actual Donny. And oh man, his 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 mini character arc in this movie is heartbreaking because when you've watched a movie and rewatch it, it's such a tragic, tragic path. I love the line, it's named my father. And his father before before him, and it's a little smile that does it, it's those little touches that make this movie so much better than the average dross you get that comes out. It's little moments, you know, add so much depth to characters and universe. Donnie's laughing because he's real, slowly realising what's happening. And now Portal is going to open up on the screen. And it's, all oh shit, it's leading a path to the um, Cunning Mouse. Oh. All stuff out, the movie they're watching, Evil Dead, it, it's kind of awesome because it plays into can you trust Frank? Should you trust Frank? Very interesting like, concepts there. Seriously, enough great reaction by Jake Jane Horton. It's so, and that, that transition is really cool. Showing this is where you gotta go. So I love how they're leading Dong on this quest, but they're not really telling him why he's doing things. He's got to operate on some level of blind trust. And there goes the hood. Fucking superhero time, years before fucking... Actually, no, M. Night Shyamalan long did Unbreakable before this, but you know, this is a much better... Super, this one's the 
personally, it's one of my favourite superhero movies. And Donnie walks out. Another great shot. Notice he's not going through port. He's just left cinema. Evil Dead, Last Temptation of Christ. Really good, you know, sort of concepts there. And talent show at school, which conveniently allows Donnie to um, slip in unnoticed and burn the house down. And there's the Sharita thing, where I'm guessing that we're meant to see her as a sort of angelic figure. Which is interesting, really, because, I mean, I don't... Her rolling movie is most ambiguous. And I like the fact that we're not sugarcoated what role she actually plays in the story. You have to do some thinking about it. But it's it's just such an interesting thing, that sense of ambiguity, where the more you watch it, the more you get from it. And also these creepy kid dancers. And Kitty saying, failure's not an option. And telling Bethany to swallow her from it. Oh, one asshole. Fuck you, Kitty. Shove the test up your ass. And keep Jim away from those kids. Jesus Christ. It's definitely woo-woo. And like that, Rich Kelly doesn't really explain certain parts of this move at all. The arseholes don't get off stage, they suck, because that's, that's really good. She is good, you know, it's like, anyone has that much, that much, you know, fortitude to go up on stage and do that shit, it's amazing. And not easy going up on stage, you know. It really isn't. And it's dickhead saying that's really something. One arsehole. Not Patrick Swayze, but this character would douchebag. And of course he, he would consider a bunch of kids dancing on stage in sparkly outfits a pleasure. What a dickhead. And of course they are sparkle motion. This is so 80s it hurts, but it's in an interesting way. I think at some point I will do S. Darko. Because I, I love watching terrible terrible movies. And I really do want to watch a terrible movie about Don's sister growing up. Which I'll say is in the actual sequel. But hey, all I'll say about that is. If Richard Cady didn't want to make a sequel, that's fine. I understand that. But he should have fucking known that they would make a sequel of this shit. And should have been involved somehow to try and mitigate it. I mean, that's the only fucking power play he had left. Like, the sequel. And he didn't take it. Now everyone claps the sparkle motion. And even the teachers dancing, Drew Barrymore is dancing to it. And this is so 80s it hurts. I don't really think talking about munging witnesses is good when you're dealing fucking Jim Cummings, a.k.a. Patrick Swayze here. And Donnie's gone to his house very easily. And he also, Jim doesn't seem to be bothered and he lost his wallet, which is strange in retrospect. He's going... And also this plays into... He destroyed his school using water earlier, and now he's using fire, fire and water. You know, fire and water was spark and motion place. Fire and water would make sparks. And he's going to burn the house to the fucking ground. Donnie's got experience of burning houses, obviously. And Spark Motion might win talent show. Dongy framed in fire. The last temptation of Christ, if you will. So, and yay, Spark Motion. 
sparkle, sparkle, sparkle motion, chuckle, chuckle, chuckle vision. And Comic Cons this weekend, and we're going to get Vision. So, hey, no, don't burn Pigfile's house. That's against the law. It's not like that was an awful performance by Spark Motion, but it's kind of like um hype movie hyping something which wasn't actually that special. Although it's fine, it's the eighties, I'm sure they were pacified by shit like that. Who the fuck's this woman? A dope expression. Charita sat outside with the dog statue with the axe in its head. Nope, the axe is gone, she looks sad, you know. I guess she's playing with Donny's soul. And Donny's walked back into the cinema and no one's any wiser. He did that really fucking quickly. And also, he left Gretchen in cinema on her own. I like it when movies do that. It's like, that's a horrible thing to do. No? She, anything could have happened to her in cinema. It didn't. He didn't fucking know that. So she asleep for the whole movie. And they trade that look and he gives her, oh, sweet little kiss. Oh, man. Oh, they're in love. And firemen are like, man. And police are like, man. Look, we found a P-file room. We found a sex dungeon. And Elizabeth is looking at it next day and she says, oh, no. They say firefighters found a key porn dungeon. It's like, what the fuck? Cunningham? Not Patrick Swayze. Not Jim Cunningham. And Lisbeth is like, hey, he's a fucking peedfile. Donnie, look at this peedfile. Donnie sits down and sort of like, well, shit. I just burned his fucking house down. But, like, I didn't, you know, know he's a peedfile. So they all denying that he's a peedfile. And Donnie's like, yeah. Jim Cunningham obviously blames this. Cunningham blames conspiracy. So it's October 24th, eight. And they're going to fire Drew Barrymore because her methods are inappropriate, which is bullshit. Like, everyone needs a good teacher like this. I had a couple of teachers, like um, Miss Albert, who taught us cinema studies and film studies at college. Amazing teacher. Like, shit, I'm doing this because, you know, I was so inspired in her class. It's just very apt, because even nowadays, you know, this is true. Teachers do lose kids to apathy, to prescribed nonsense. You need to go above the grain. It's like Miss Halbert's class, we watched loads of lit. There, we watched loads of weird shit in that class. It's amazing, you know, arty shit and borderline inappropriate shit. But fueled a lot of fascination and fascinated minds with movies, which is good because now I can watch a wide range of movies and I can joke about some shit I watch. Like fucking, it's amazing. And I love how she's playing this role, but I wonder how much of her real life is impacting on it. Charita's nearby eating sandwich and so like don't swear miss and she's like I've, I've failed I failed I'm so sorry that expression is correct though because anyone who works in the sort of public service is um has at some point or public sector you know teaching hostels whatever has at one point where you've hit you do this and you experience such frustration at how shit things are going and how much you can't change things that are bad and you just want to scream at the poorness of the system so you find out kids are going to see Edmund Mar 1988 thing but then newspaper explains 
displayed in the Jim Cunningham's appeal file, and Kitty's like, no, I have to go to his arraignment. He's not a child porn, he's not part of a child porn ring. He's not. He's not a ghost. Samantha jumps on trampoline outside, another slice of um, nostalgia. Kitty's like, no, no, I'm dressed down. God is awesome and porn and pedophiles, they're, they're, they're bad, but Jim's not one of them. So, Dongy's mum doesn't believe that it's a conspiracy, but words of using words key porn disturbs Kitty immensely. immensely. She maintains it's conspiracy, and this movie is really putting F1 in the right place at the right time. And I love the little great bits of acting here. Two great female actors operating, operating off, off one another, I guess. You know, playing off each other. And also, this is way put Donnie's mum on the airplane, which is like a neat twist. It's sort of like, you have to get there, and at this point, your son connected dots. like, oh shit, she's going on a plane? Hmm, strange. Is that connected? I did make that connection first time I watched a movie, because I don't think you normally do. You're watching a movie, you're getting sense of what's happening. You're more focused on what's happening rather than why it's happening or how it's happening. And especially watching this again, you really get sense that there's a lot of machinations here. And I love the guilt trips plays here. Your daughter has been dreaming Samantha's and all of us so long. It's clearly Kitty's dream. But she guilt trips this woman into um, playing ball by saying I made some <laughs> and also I love that line Richard Kelly does too sometimes I doubt your commitment spark emotion and mother's like what the fuck do you say to that now see a picture of Frank on wall with um, yeah and Donnie's clearly quite a good you know comic book art- artist that's actually drawn by Richard Kelly and I love mother's response because she is going to try and make men's to Donnie because they don't realise this, but that's the last time she'll ever see him. And the warmth in her face at this scene, she's like, loves her son so much, but she just wants him to be okay. And doesn't mind how he's okay, as long as he's okay. And she, the affection she puts here at this scene, like, this is a quality, quality actress right here. And this is also such motherly comment coming right up. It's like, how does it feel to have Wacko for a son? And she's so sad, but at the same time, she's so proud. And she's, oh man, this just feels wonderful. I, that's fucking amazing. She is an amazing actress, seriously. So sad. But, oh man, that that's not in the script where she rubs his cheek. That's perfect. Like, I'm serious. That's fucking... Of some of the shit I've seen recently. So... Dong Darko has written a letter to Roberta Sparrow and he'll give it to her later on. That's Chekhov's letter. And he's looking sad. He's starting to realise what's going to happen as the airplane flies by. October 26th, 1988. We see Cellar Door on board. We'll find out the significance of that in a second. Although Richard K gets, gets the thing wrong. He's, so Donnie's talking to his teacher and she says that everything's going to be just fine. So he asks what Celador is and she said, uh, says that a famous linguist once said that of all phrases in the English language, of all the endless combinations of words in all of history, Celador is most beautiful. And that's an allusion to J.R.R. Tolkien, although he never actually said that. But 
This thing movies, teachers and writers don't have to be correct. The point of the scene is still there. Notice words can be beautiful and also haunting at the same time. That's all the scene really is meant to convey. And here's Donnie sees Sharita. And at this point, Donnie's going on his farewell tour of sorts. And Lovey looks at her with not pity, but just like a sense of love. Like, it's go you're going to be okay. Once it's all done, you're going to be fantastic. I love that. It's, it's, he's trying to be so nice to her, but she can't accept it. She's like, no, don't, don't say that, you know. Don't say everything's going to be better. It's not. And then she's written down Don Darko, which she's clearly in love with him. And or having some sort of dreams about him, which is my theory, and that she's dreamed, dreamt a lot of this. So he wears the headphones back, and Richard Kelly is saying there's some significance to these headphones, but I've never worked out what it is. Other than Donnie shutting up with, maybe, but I've never worked out what significance of them are. And here's the one of the final therapy sessions, I think. Don't talk about how he wants hungry, hungry hippos, and how do you, how do you feel being denied those hungry, hungry hippos? It's such a great line. It's really, really good. So at this point, Donnie's starting realising that it's coming to an end. And he reveals under hypnosis and he flooded his school and he burned down that pervert's house. And he's... Uh, so he thinks the end of the world is him being caught. But as he points out, he obeys Frank because Frank saved his life. And that's something which interests him because did he really? Hmm. So he wants to know what this is all about. He doesn't. And that's another interesting thing. Donnie's trying to figure out what master plan is. But he's looking at it the wrong way. You know. He rev he, So apparently Don reveals he has power being a time machine. It doesn't reveal how that's possible you know, or how time travel is possible because he's really broken up so he thinks this is the end he's really broken up this is a the point of no return don't you i think he's really having an emotional breakdown and you raise this point he's just a scared kid and despite the fact that he's approaching 18 he's really scared you know he's like he's really breaking up you know, and there's this point where you realise that no, he doesn't think he's strong enough to do what he wants to do. He grabs the table and he's showing real fear and then he thinks this is this is the last part for him. Actually no, he knows actually that's the point I never got. He points out Frankie's gonna kill someone, but he doesn't say who, but in actuality I think he knows what's gonna happen at this point. He knows everything. He's seen how this is going to end and he doesn't think he's strong enough to do it so now he has this moment where his psychiatrist is like oh skyward suddenly open up there would be no law there'd be no rule there'd only be you and your memories which is true but we'll get to that a little later and it's this point where this feels like in some ways a um a loose allusion to it's a wonderful life but in flip side this shows donnie what life would have been like if he'd lived, and then the actuality is like he made F1's lives better and then went back and saved them all. This is like giving Donnie almost a chance to come to terms with what's going to happen in the movie, which is a great little moment. And 
his moment of realization for the psychiatrist where he's let out his fears and frustrations and i think to a large extent does feel better so that's nice doesn't really seem to know where he is but that's fine and we've got one day left october 29 1988 and oh man it's like this point donny knows i guess you re-watching it at this point he knows exactly what's going to happen in the rest of the movie Oh, and there's, oh, that awesome carving on the desk, you know. He finds our sister's going to Harvard. He's like, wish it for our party. But he doesn't say it in a happy way. He says it in a way which suggests that I think we should do this because it's my only chance to set a thing in motion, a spark in motion, if you will. And that plane technician, FAA guy's outside again. So this is a very 80s party. Or raid 2010's attempt to an April pie. Halloween pie, even. April pie, to be cool. And Donnie is a skeleton, you know. He puts a hood up. And that's symbolic, you know. He is, at this point, the evil den. And his friend's costumes. Viking and Hulk Hogan. That's so 80s. So they're going to they're gonna teepee someone. They stole four beers. I love the line cake. Cake beers for pussies, like it's beer, you asshole. And there's a Reagan bouncing up down on trampoline. How's cake beer for pussies, by the way? Love that shitty Hulk Hogan costume, it's really bad, but in a really endearing way. And now, parents, mothers, oh no, the psychiatrist is trying to ring Rose, but doesn't realize she's out of town. She's really pissed scared at this point, you know, she's like, Dongy. Because we haven't had to leave a scene where she reveals that Dong is taking placebos. Gretchen at this point is in tears. She meets Dong at a party. Something bad happen has happened. She hasn't dressed up. And she's really concerned because her mum's missing. And she thinks it's her dad. But, you know, we don't know, maybe. Or her stepdad, I can't remember. Anyway, Love Will Tear Us Apart, playing by Joy Vision. Great song. They're gonna go upstairs and think everyone got where this is going. They're gonna bear and they're gonna far up. They're gonna make sets. They are people. They are. There's Elizabeth is downstairs when we're going like, yeah, that's good. My brother's gonna get some, get some ass, maybe some pussy, maybe some breast. She's gonna get some dick. You know, it's gonna be interesting. It's gonna be pie. So she is really broken up and she's um, called the cops and said she should even go to a safe place. And if Dolly knows what's going to happen after this point, this seems even sadder, you know. And it does make you wonder um, with how movie ends. Would this, does this still happen? I know I'm spoiling a fair bit, but I assume at this point you've seen fucking movie already. If you haven't, stop this commentary and go and see a movie. Anyway, here we go. It's like I thought you said earlier. I guess some people are just born with tragedy in their blood. He kisses her and they're, they're going for it. Holy shit. And then find out Elizabeth knows Frank. Oh, shit. That's so cool. And Donnie and Gretchen are really going for it. He, he's pulling off. She pulls off his top and he's going for hers. Oh, no. Not on the bed. Not on parents' bed. Where we find out that Samantha is amazing at, part, at the um, tournament. 
and then she Samantha's like mum plane's going to leave we need to go home and they're like we'll be back at 8.30 and she hopes everything's alright and it's so sad because she and FC Dong here then tragic Anyway, kids come down, Gretchen and Dongy, Ralph come downstairs and they've just made whoopee. You know, and they got those post-coital smiles on their faces. And they're both like, yeah, yeah, we make fuck. And Dongy's like, yeah. But they doesn't seem quite so happy about it. You know, which is strange. And how does that grandfather clock look sad, you know? That's a very cool clock, but... Anyway, six hours remaining, October 30th, 1988. Dong and Gretchen are making out. Oh, it's so sweet and tender. You know? And she's like, I'm going to get some beer. And Dongy's like, I just made fuck. Yeah, I made whoopee. Woohoo! He looks so happy. You know, it's like... Then he looks sad because he's realising what's going to happen. He's like, I can't fight it. My head. My head! Fucking Mysterio! He shakes his head because his son free fucking with him and camera starts rotating and we get a Kubrick stare and oh no he sees the spear oh shit it's on it's time dog he's like whoa so he finds out that sign on the door says Frank was here went and get beer and dog he's like Frank oh, I'm going to fuck him up Dongy's like this is it Music's talking haywire and you see spears coming out of F1's chest. Terrible effects and Dongy's like, no, no. In movies like Dongy, we got to fucking wrap up. We have time. And these fucking penis bubbles are everywhere. One smacks him in the face and he's like, ah. His eyes widen. He's so like, holy shit, I've seen future. No. A cellar door starts playing and he's like, oh no, that's what Tolkien meant. He meant a white penis bubble will come out of F1's chest we need good future Dongy asks and his friends are like what the fuck we'll come too and Dongy's like no and they're like hey we're Richard Kelly's friends we're coming with you he needs to see grandma death and I love how his friends are like I don't know what the fuck's going on but we'll go with Dongy that's very friend like like your best friends you can say to them holy shit there's fucking ghosting park and if you walk off they'll follow you so they're like well it's probably not but you know he might get beaten you know or mugged so we'll go with him anyway and they're riding their bikes. This is E.T. is E.T. is a motherfucker, and bikes at night, man. And this is so much more a legitimately eighties and Stranger Things. Like just bunch of teenagers at night on their bikes on Halloween. And they write Grandma Death's house, and Donnie's like, Roberta Sparrow, do you have a great 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 descendant named Jack Sparrow? And she's like, Drag! I have lots of hair on my toes. I've only just noticed that. Dongy's like, I got to put my hood up, I'm a superhero. And his friends are like, Dongy, let's get the fuck out of here. So and then he says, sell the door. And Don Gretchen's like, what? And he's sort of like, look, sell the door. And she's like, doesn't make any sense. So they go down to the cellar, because again, it's the um, predestination, you know, guided this place. A reason Drew Barrymore said sell the door was so they would go to the cellar door. And his friends haven't come in, because why would they? And you know some shit's going to go down, because Donnie's got a superhero hood up, so he's got to get in some sort of fight of some kind. You know, and why Why not? It perf what happens next makes perfect sense, you know? So bullies hate Donnie just to get to this point. Gretchen plays piano a bit, and he smiles and goes, which 
that's not going to last much longer and she keeps playing and she's sort of like I like the piano and he's, she gives him the sexy eyes and he gives her the coy smile and like not here Gretchen not in cellar door oh shit the fugs are there with knives I don't know why they'd be at Grandma Death's house but they are and they pull Gretchen down the outside and I guess they were about to rob her because she's rich that's a loot to earlier so the um, thugs are like, we'll put knives left throats and they throw Gretchen on the road. And this stupid Seth Rogen takes his mask off as this thug's trying to cut Donny. Donny's trying to fend him off. And Seth Rogen's like, don't fucking move, Hogan. As Donny grabs the mask and starts wrenching it back. He rips it off and reveals the bully. Oh shit, shock. As there's a car coming. And the um, the geography here doesn't really make sense. Why is the car driving down this particular park? And then you have to think it's still predestined. So Donny says that the cops are coming. No, Seth Rogen says the cops are coming. Gretchen's still in the middle of the road. And the fuck's like, Donny points out it's the sex machine. And the fuck's like, fuck yes, fuck this movie tropes. He points out our saviour is here. And, but Grandma Death's in the middle of the road. And they swerve to avoid her. And they hit Gretchen. Oh shit, they run the fuck over. And car comes to a stop. And the thug is like, oh shit, what do I do? I swear at one point in the thing he said, you're dead, Dong Darker. In the script he says, you're dead, Dong Darker. And then runs off. The movie doesn't. Oh shit, it's Pennywise. Pennywise is like, eh, you won't come down my train, little boy. That's not a very good Pennywise. Dongy kneels by Gretchen who's dead. This Pennywise is like, oh shit. I didn't realise how weird they'd be dressed up like Pennywise at Halloween. Like, that's a weird fucking thing to dress up as. And Frank, France makes his first appearance, you know? The human in bun suit before he's tormented for all reality. And it's a really great moment when you realise this, because it's not really shown in the script per se. But in the movie, the actor plays this perfectly, because you get the impression, oh shit, now's the point where shit starts to make some semblance of sense and his act is great by the way you know he doesn't get a huge amount of lines or scenes but he does a really good job of them so Pennywise is like oh shit and now Frank turns on them and this must be when he's forced to suffer for all reality Donny shoots him in the face remember the scene with the um, Smurfs the important bit of foreshadowing was not a Smurf conversation, although that was, it was the fact that Donny is a master shot of a gun. Pennywise runs off to his parents, everything's okay, which I don't think that's what you want to happen. You know, maybe this guy is turns in Pennywise, you know, maybe trauma of this turns him in Pennywise. Frank's bleeding from the eye, remember that's the eye he showed Donny earlier, the mask is just lying around. Grandma Death is like, oh, Donny, hi, I didn't see you as Donny drops a gun. And now we're getting to weird shit part of the movie. Like, before wasn't weird shit, that was. I guess she gets a letter, by the way. Donny carries Gretchen somewhere, goes home, finds Elizabeth passed out on the chair. And he gives her a sweet little kiss on the forehead, you know. And she, you know... Last thing she'll remember of Dongy, even though she won't remember it because she's asleep. Dongy grabs the keys and he's, I think he's still got Gretchen in the car and it's very early, his parents haven't gone home yet. He grabs the car 
and I guess he's going to meet his fate. Although he's grabs his gut and he's feeling very worried about it. He looks up at Sky, sees it starting to unravel and realises that everything is going to come to an end unless he does what he has to do. And in fact, you could say that maybe what he has to do is destroy this reality and go back to the old one, which is a nice idea and probably quite apt. But he's not going to do it alone. He says everyone dies alone, but he's not going to. He's going to die with um, Gretchen of sorts. And also, he's going to turn his car into a fucking time machine. Fuck you, DeLorean Rob Zemeckis. Fuck it. He's got a fucking, whatever the fuck his car's called. It's a single crown of a telephone line as the sky turns black. Donnie's got to go back to where the movie started. Cop cars are rushing past, you know. They're going to investigate something. I'm not sure what. Probably Donnie murdering fucking Pennywise. Murdering Frank. Car travels long, very similar to the um, start of Evil Dead. Donnie's turned his car into a time machine. He's on mountain where he things started and he sat there ready to accept his fate. He's going home as he puts it and I think at this point we we start unravelling some of the mysteries of this movie in which case this whole movie seems to be Donnie coming to terms with his death. You know? Now whether this actually happened or Donnie hallucinated this that's up for debate but what's not up for debate is in terms of movie it seems like Donnie goes back in time theoretically and as we'll find out in the second this plane is compared to mystery of where the fucking jet engine came from came from this plane falling into another reality you know it's crazy although it's also terrifying because that means that in one version of reality, Samantha and Donnie's mum died in a plane crash. As you can see it falling through into the wormhole. Now we get a bunch of lines from throughout the movie, you know. So Donnie's going to replace the shit that happened something better. So that's fascinating. And you have to assume in that reality, you know, um, there's going to be a lot of things which happen. That's a very cool shot, by the way. The um, engine falling through the wormhole. And out of sync. And now time's rewinding. Donnie's going back in time. It's a bit mad. You don't get that first time you watch a movie. Necessarily. But I do like it. I think it's a great little twist. I don't know what the fuck that scene people driving us from. There's, those, there's a few delete scenes in here too. So you know you have to play hard and loose a bit. With um, a movie. Where Donnie wrote Roberta Sparrow a, le a letter. And that's a cool moment. Although that must mean Roberta Sparrow never actually gets a fucking letter. So. And nice shot of the family there. Donnie, I guess, is he looking on or is he not looking on? I don't fucking know. Anyway, Donnie points out that um, he hopes. Oh, do you see him? He's teleported back into his bedroom, you know? Where the movie started, it ends. 
And I start with him on cliff and ends with him on cliffing back home. And he's laughing. Is he laughing because he's gone mad? Is he laughing because he accepts what's going to happen? Is he laughing because he knows everything's going to be okay? There's a lot of ambiguity there, which seems to him. This is when we've started, but this time the jet engine's going to fall through and hit Donny. It's going to be a messy death. And Lisbeth back from her time with Frank, you know, Donny lies down and tries to calm himself. You know, I I subscribe to the theory he's gone fucking mad from this shit. He's about a fucking jet engine falling his fucking head. I'd be mad if that shit happened to me. But a very cool way to end movie and also another one for the best montages of all time is about to come up and holy shit Don gets fucked up by jet engine fucking hell he got fucked up proper fucked proper fucked poor guy but hey, you know, he dies, he lives, getting banned. Ha ha ha! So, 3-1 for you nerds. Fucking 3-1. Mabel, call me. Anyway, here's... Now we're back to October 2nd, 1988. And one of my favourite scenes in any movie ever. The, um... Mad... The, um... Great montage to Mad Wheels by, um... Someone named Jules, I think. Gary Jules. And my grand Jules, Mad Wheels. Mad Wheels. Amazing, amazing sequence. Where you start seeing all characters game throughout the movie and find out that Montoff and Drew Barrymore were a couple. Fascinating. He looks haunted as if he vaguely remembers Donnie. I think everyone's, a lot of people in this sequence do remember Donnie, although in a weird lucid dream. Jim uh, suddenly realises how fuck she's fucked his life up and except he is peaceful and that's that's really good acting by Patrick Swayze there by the way because that's you don't sympathise particularly but it's still tragic to watch and Frank oh no Kitty is sort of like what have I done with my life I've ruined these poor kids you know my god bollocks well she realises how much she's put them through in fact she pretends it peaceful Sharita smiles because she realises everything is going to be okay, you know, which is quite fascinating. And such a beautiful song. Frank is there. This wasn't in script, by the way. There's lots of weird imagery on walls, but he's drawn loads of pictures of, of the um, Frank Bunn costume, and he realised what he did to Gretchen, what he did to Donnie. And it's really fucked him up. Again, great acting by someone who wasn't in a large chunk of the movie, but really contributes something when he was on the screen. He reaches up to his eye. And also, it's a great, great little moment because it shows you that no matter how much you get in a movie or whatever, you can do an amazing job in it. And this really is a great song. Such a good song. And now here we get the part where it emotionally breaks me every time. Because all those scenes are very, montage scenes are very recent. But gone back to the beginning and now we flipped it because, you know, you see the reactions. Fucking hell, like Maggie Gyllenhaal is completely broken there. You know, like, holy shit. Like, she could always act, but fucking hell, man. And parents and daughter. Gee, seriously, like, this is proper fucking acting. And they don't have the music playing, I'm guessing. They're just acting. Like, 
taking what's happening here and it creates such great family bond and mother smoking cigarette i love that because it shows that donnie got his rebellious streak from her and she just can't doesn't know how to express the emotion you know she doesn't know how to deal with it it's just amazing amazing work really is i again i don't like to say career best but fucking it it comes close and now find out Gretchen's alive. Yay! But she never met Donnie, no. And there's this little kid there. And he's like, oh, my neighbour's dead. He got smushed by Jen. I love that line, by the way. What happened, you know? Got smushed by Jen. It's such a kid thing to say. Although back then, that'd be like, man, he got fucked up by Jen. Taking Donnie out. And Gretchen's like, who was he? And the kid's like, Donnie, Dong Darker. And it's like, did I fuck a guy named Don Darko in another reality? She she vaguely remembers knowing Donnie. And it's like, oh shit. And she looks at Donnie's mum and they share a connection. Like, they never met, which is interesting. But clearly they share some sort of connection. Like, I vaguely remember him. And it's sort of like, I don't know him. But at the same time, she dreamed him and he made his, her life better. And you hope everything's going to be okay for her from now on. You don't know, but you hope. So she's going to raise her hand to wave to her. And Donnie's mum's going to wave her hand back. And that's, that is how you end fucking movie, folks. You don't need them to go, oh, I wish I knew your son. You'll end that bullshit. They just wave to each other. That's it. And then kid waves back, like, we're so sorry. And that's it. And goddamn, what a fucking movie seriously i'm glad i could share that for you guys and i'm glad that movie exists because jesus christ i know his career didn't go where he wanted to but i think we can also agree look you don't get much chances in life you don't most people never make a movie most people make might make some people might make a couple movies i think it's fair to say very few people from ground up their first movie made something this fucking good because christ the guys from fucking like fucking coppolas and lutuses they didn't make anything this good on their first try so i gotta give it rich kelly he his career might have faltered but god damn it he hit the ground fucking running hit a fucking home run made an amazing movie launched multiple careers revitalized multiple careers and I have to be honest, I have nothing but respect for the man. Because for all his faults as a director, which we find out in later movies, this is, I'm just going to say, it, this is to me perfect, perfect cinema. So good. And I'm glad you could sit and watch it for me or listen to this podcast. I don't know. I'm glad you can put up for me licking my lips and smacking my lips and drinking and breathing heavily and stuff snorting and coughing because fuck me you know they don't make shit like this that often you got to enjoy it so i'll be back next week with a commentary for another one of my favorite horror movies horror movies kind of horror movies it's um shit brian de palma's blowout starring john travolta which is a fucking amazing movie i look forward to watching that for you guys next week but for now i'm signing off by saying remember Life is beautiful. Peace out, nerds. Peace out, nerds. That's awful. 
I can do better than that.